Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, June 4th. This is the 22nd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, we're going to be talking dinnerware and the design process for restaurants with an amazing ceramics designer. But first, I'm going to do my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round questions, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to do what you love. Yes, I'm talking about living the dream, making work not seem like work, as you are doing what you are passionate for. Okay, I know, this is not the easiest thing to achieve. But I think it's possible if you believe in yourself and your goals. For instance, one of my current clients recently left his job in finance to open his own restaurant. It's called Union Bar and Kitchen. He's working around the clock, but loving every moment of it as he's now following his passion. Life's short, too short not to be happy, I say. So go after your dream and do what you love. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm really excited, my guest. It's ceramics designer Jono. I said it wrong right off the bat. Jono, I'm so sorry. Jono Pandolfi, who is well recognized in the design and culinary communities for his high profile dinnerware collaborations with notable chefs. His restaurant clients include Eleven Madison Park, The Nomad, WD50, and Atera. Jono is also a faculty member in the product design department at Parsons, the new school for design. So welcome. Thanks for coming. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. No <laughs> Live radio. No oh, worries. The best. So, um, well, we're meeting for the first time here, and uh, I'm very excited to hear more about how you got into ceramics and doing dinnerware for amazing restaurants. Definitely. Um, ceramics is, it's always kind of been my, uh, my passion and my focus ever since high school and, um, tying it into the whole hospitality side of things that didn't come until much later. That started up about 10 years ago. Um, when I was actually living in the same neighborhood. Uh, but back when the MoMA was renovated, that's kind of when it, when it kicked off my first collaboration with Will Godara. Yes. I read you guys were in a band together. We were we were in a band together, and that's that always gets gets mentioned. But uh, that was that was just the the start of our, our collaborative uh, relationship, and, and we've actually taken it a lot further since we've started doing some dinnerware and, and projects for Eleven Madison Park and the Nomad. And um, he, you know, his his uh, interest in his and, and chef as well, Daniel Hum. Um, those guys have always been they put a lot of faith in me from from the beginning, and that's actually enabled me to to really grow and to get to to where I am now. 
Right. So before the MoMA, what were you doing? Were you weren't that was your first in with restaurants? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, before that, um, after college, I spent uh, about four years teaching pottery uh, in a boarding school upstate in, in, in Millbrook, New York. Uh, so that was a great uh, four years right after college to kind of let me settle down in the real world and, and get focused and, and stay busy. Uh, but then I moved here to um, to Brooklyn and, and Bushwick, just down the street from, from where we are right now. Um, and was just trying to stay busy teaching, working in a ceramics nonprofit in East Village, um, you know, teaching, doing, staying busy however I could, making a lot of jewelry, actually. So um, that was my first kind of um, selling my own work once I moved to New York, was selling my earrings. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I didn't really have a kiln or a wheel or anything at the time, but I had enough money to afford a, you know what I needed to make silver earrings. So that kind of got the ball rolling. And then eventually uh, Will came along and said, all right, I'm working at the, uh, the MoMA. Um, we want to do some, you know, some something. And actually I proposed bud vases. So that's kind of where, where it got going. Oh, cool. Yeah. But before that, mainly teaching and just trying to stay busy however I could. But mm-hmm. um, eventually, you know, I kind of know, I just kind of found this niche of restaurants, um, no, you know, any, almost any restaurant I spoke with, if I, if I said to them, we could, you know, can we collaborate? Can we do some dinnerware or do some special pieces for your restaurant? In the beginning, I never pitched dinnerware. It was only little things. It it took me years to really figure out how to make plates, dinner plates. That's the hardest thing to make is a 11 inch full size plate. Really? Uh, I wouldn't, I would think a vase would, would be more challenging than a plate or a cup or Uh, because it's kind of flat <laughs> plate, yeah it seems it like it rounds. would be easy there's a lot that can go wrong with it that's the problem it, it, if it's it's big so there's a lot of surface area there's a, for me it's all about getting that glaze to melt perfectly on top um and, and being symmetric symmetric everything warpage right. the, every, the bigger the piece gets the more the potential problems are so that like i said i mean what it, it really took me a long time to figure out how to make these full-size dinner plates and that's what what um, enabled me to start doing graduate beyond just little accent pieces but to to do you know maybe a whole restaurant you know so when you were when you first started with the MoMA was that were you doing everything yourself absolutely I mean it was was doing everything myself I mean back then for me a big order was was uh, four dozen pieces right yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now we're doing four thousand at a time wow. yeah definitely. wow so how how big is your company now how many people do you have working um with you? i've got on any given day there's um three to four of us um working together it's definitely like it's almost like a kitchen it's a total teamwork thing um because to 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 make dinnerware from start to finish you've got to get the clay you've got to prepare the clay um roll it out cut it out you've got to either throw it on the wheel, jigger it, process it, cast it. You've got to dry the pieces, finish them, um, load them into the kiln, glaze them, fire them again. So a lot of, you're never doing one thing all day. It's a lot of like 20, 30 minute jobs. You're doing one thing, switch. It's all teamwork, kind of working together, keeping everything moving. Um, and so it's it's fun for me that now that I've grown to a point where there's several of us doing it, um, it's almost like the same effect, the excitement that I get from ceramics from making a piece. It's mm-hmm. that, but amplified. 
So it's 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 fun. It sounds fun. Does the weather factor in too with all that? The weather does factor in. Uh, the drier it is in the winter time, our wear dries a lot faster. Um, the summer we have um, we have five kilns, so sometimes they're all on at the same time. Um, either either on or they're they're either heating up or cooling down, and that heats up the space quite a bit. So um, a lot of tank tops and shorts in my studio. A lot of fans <laughs> blowing around. We don't have air conditioning. Ooh. No. But we get a good cross breeze, so we get by. Yeah, I, I bet you do, but that sounds, <laughs> that sounds like, sounds tough. So when you're working with, with Will and, and the MoMA, so what what's the pro- was the process like after, ba- well, you did the vases. Did you do more for them and then? Did a few things for them. Um, I mean, that's that was really the infancy of, of what I'm really doing now and what we've gotten to a point where, you know, um, we're doing whole entire restaurants. What we did for the moment was a couple bud vases, a couple little small signature, little accent pieces. Um, and it's, it it always kind of starts the same way. Sit down with your client, whether it's just a manager, a chef, both everybody. Um, and a lot of times people have things they've been, been thinking about wanting to try, or they've got pictures printed out. Um, so, you know, you sit down, you say, all right, what do you guys need? What do you want? Um, and then we look at ways to, to accomplish that. That sounds, uh, sounds, I was reading in another part, I think it was a story or that you had on your website about how clay tells a story. So it seems like that's start, part of the process of working with a restaurant and seeing what the story is and, and then letting clay tell it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, I'm glad you actually brought that up. I mean, uh, everyone always asks, everyone wants to know, what's your inspiration? Uh, where do the ideas come from for the pieces? Um, <clears throat> and yes, it's it's a collaborative thing, and you're you're trying to address the needs of your client. But as, in terms of the aesthetic of my work, it's really about the clay, and it's about the medium and the process. Um, there's no decoration. You know, it's about the materials, like, let the I like to let the materials kind of do the talking. Um, I like to just simplify the process, practice it, and just kind of you know it, it's really about thinking about um, the same way a chef would would like to let the best ingredients they have um, just shine. Um, so the aesthetic is really determined by the process, whether it's just subtle spiral on the wheel. Um, the unglazed stoneware, the different tones of stoneware that I work with, um, letting some of the ware be unglazed, not always glazing everything, so having a lot of matte and tactile um, finishes, um, and, and kind of um, you know playing into the whole culinary dining experience by bringing in some tactile elements and you know nothing nothing goopy in terms of design, but just you know, a subtlety, a little bit different from what a lot of restaurants have been working with for what seems like a long time, just that stark white, shiny porcelain, um, which has a place, but I think people are getting tired of it. Yeah, I agree. And I like that you said goopy. (laughs) (laughs) And I was, I was wondering, so with these restaurants, I I know a few that you're working with, Atera, WD50, 11 Madison Park, are your designs exclusive for them? Or because, you know, like, no one else can have that certain signature dish. Uh, yeah, that's. It depends. Um, there are certain designs in my in my catalog that 
um, that I won't I won't offer to to other clients. And Eleven Madison Park is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, I would never sell that that same pattern, the same clay body glaze, and the look to another restaurant. Um, even though there are other restaurants that probably would like to get their hands on it, um, what I've been working on, and and what I've <clears throat> Well, one thing that's that's enabled me to, to grow is is finding ways to work with, um, to develop tooling to create the wear for these restaurants, and then to find new ways to use the same existing tooling but to vary the design somewhat. Um, so, while I have an 11-inch coupe plate that I sell to Eleven Madison Park, uh, I designed it originally for them. Um, I could always make that same plate in, in a different color of clay. I could put more of a spiral or a pattern on top but I still use my existing tooling. So, um, yes, I, I will often do a project and I'll, and I'll reserve that design for, for that client, um, you know, in perpetuity, but there's always ways of sort of varying things a little bit, um, to be able to serve, you know, a wider audience and not just, you know, be a guy who just works for a couple of handful of restaurants, but to be able to be, you know, versatile and, and, uh, you know, and help a lot of different restaurant tours, not just a select few. That sounds awesome to me. <laughs> I want to I want to talk more about Eleven Madison Park, but we're going to take a break here. So uh, stay with us. We'll come back. So uh, this is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. USDA-inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA-inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high-quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Jono Pandolfi. We're talking about dinnerware for restaurants. We're talking about fancy dinnerware, I would like to say. So I wanted to get back to 11 Madison Park because... I went there last year with my friend Megan, and we just went on a Tuesday for the hell of it because we're the type of nice. people who just want to want to experience all they have to offer. And it was phenomenal. And the plates, the dinnerware, the whole they it played such a big part in the experience. Even I mean, I tell people the story all the time about the magic trick with the dessert at the end and there's a secret compartment. So tell me about the design and working with Daniel Hum and how that came about. Cause the, it's such creative dinnerware. Thank you. Um, that whole collection and I, I call it the EMP collection. Um, that is, it's, it's a pretty deep collection. It's, it's probably about honestly 30 pieces total in the set. When you count up every plate and every, shape that I do for them, for that restaurant, every teapot, every last little thing. Um, there's probably over 30 different things. 
Um, and that was a situation where we actually we did the Nomads dinnerware first, and that was around 6,000 pieces. We did... Really? Cause, yeah. Because EMP became, came exactly. before the Nomads. EMP, but, okay. had, they already had dinnerware, so they were clicking along great, and then along came Nomad. That was my first big... Um, my, that was my first big job. So we did that, and that was a lot simpler than what we did for EMP. It was only actually six or six or eight pieces in the Nomad set. Um, uh, we, and then, as soon as I finished that, I mean that that project was was behind schedule and um, my first big job. So learning a ton as we went on that, got that done. As soon as that was done, the guys said, "All right, let's have another meeting. We want to redo the EMP dinnerware." I said, "Hey, fantastic." We actually didn't that the, the deadline was coming up so quick on that one i didn't have time to outsource it my first nomad job i i, I did with a plant in ohio so it was so big quantity that i i was at the time was incapable of doing anything like that now we right. could um but we didn't have time to do the the emp dinnerware out in ohio so i had no choice but to kind of do some serious um problem solving working um busting my butt to figure out a process, new processes. Um, really, I, I really had to innovate and um, figure out ways to, and what really, again, what it came down to is that 11-inch that dinner plate. Um, the bigger the plate, the harder it is and to form it, to make it, fire it, to get it to be flat, to get it to be perfect enough for a place like that. So a lot of challenge there, just even uh, saying yes to the job, but then the design of it, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so much, so much concept to it. So many different courses. Um, yeah, and so many different courses, and every plate was different. Every, every plate's different. Yeah, and every plate has to be versatile too. Um, it's easy to sit down with with someone and, and design a plate around a dish, but you don't want it to be things to be just pigeonholed and have one use. So. Um, that's 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 become a bigger focus of mine as as I've grown and as I've worked with more and more clients is always I always think of uh, my design. I'm thinking of okay, is this thing going to be multi-purpose? Are they really going to get you know mileage out of it in the restaurant? You know, maybe it's great for this spring dish someone has in mind, but will it be great again in the fall? So um, versatility that's something I think of, and that's kind of the chef might be might have a lot of crazy ideas and I'm kind of reining them back and I'm trying to get them out to my studio to say, hey, let's let's look at the process together so you understand what some of the limitations are. Um, that's always been important to sort of enlighten my clients to say, look, you know, I'm not just, we're not just, um, you know, circling a dinner plate in the catalog and then calling up China and saying, send us <laughs> 500. We're actually making it. So, um you know there there is limitations to to what we can do, um, and and then gradually as the years have gone by, we've we've whittled away at those limitations and gotten better at it. Um, but you know the design of it it's that's really the fun part, and and actually I it's great to think of I like being thought of as a ceramics designer, but I, I wish I designed more. I design a little bit, and then I make a lot, and and. What makes me different, I think, is the ability for us to to really form in our production capacity. So I've been focused on not only working with fantastic clients, but also just keeping my production flowing and, and increasing my production capacity year after year just so that I can you know, continue to take on more clients and, and have the excitement of you know, working with a, a new place, um, a WD-50 
um, or an Atera that when it comes along and, and be able to, to say, yeah, we got time, let's do this, let's meet. Yeah, well, all those restaurants are so amazing, and and I've, I've dined at all of them. At Atera, um, I'm thinking I was there maybe a year and a half ago, and again, it was the presentation and, and the whole experience uh, that made it totally. beyond just the food and the service but it was it was it was everything and uh i'm excited to see what you work on next yeah i'm excited too we've got actually um we've got a, a new um fantastic project coming up that I'm, I'm not sure if i can even say anything about it yet but um a, a new notable fine dining restaurant that'll be opening um it's actually a few months from now um but we're doing all the dinnerware for that um when I read about it in a few months, I will talk about it in Restaurant Industry News. Great, great. <laughs> and I, I want to see, so are your, are your, is your dinnerware line available to folks like me? Is it, do you sell retail? Absolutely. I sell on my own website, johnopandolfi.com. Okay. So I, um, you can go on there and you can buy Nomad dinnerware. You can get co- a one coffee cup. You can get cups and saucers. You can get... St- full service seven piece place settings for you know 10 12 20 people whatever you need i I got it um and then so we've got two collections on our website we've got our rimmed line and we've got our nomad coupe line okay and then um you can also at crate and barrel you can get um i have a six piece dinnerware line there called studio yeah and actually i'm super excited so what they sell at crate um that's actually made overseas so it's much more affordable um, it's still a similar product. It's a stoneware. Um, it's they've got kind of the the signature kind of dark stoneware look that I work on. Um, I'm really excited because uh, just in a few weeks, um, a lot of additional pieces will be arriving in, in stores to go with my dinnerware line. So it, it was uh, six plates and bowls, and now it's going to be we've got cups, saucers. Um, all kinds of funky serving pieces, chips and dips, soup pot with a ladle, all that, all, um, all yeah. designed in my studio, um, and it's all it all goes with the dinnerware. So you can either get it on my website or you can go to Crate and and you can see what they okay. have. And a lot of people, a lot of people love that. A lot of restaurants are actually using that. Good to know. I'm yeah. gonna, I will check it out. Totally. Okay, now I want to ask you, I had my guest last week ask you a question. So I had on Jansen Chan. He's the Director of Pastry Operations at the International Culinary Center. And first you said your plates are amazing, which they are. Thank you. And he also noted that you're both professionals who, who use turntables. And, and we thought, and a DJ too. So you guys all have that in common. Definitely. Now, the question is, he says pastry chefs love their tools. So he wanted to know what your favorite or most essential tool is potters love their tools also um (laughs) and we've got we've got i've got all the toys but um the turntable gosh the wheel i mean that's that's really that's that's his favorite tool because that's almost that's probably mine but he didn't without that i I don't know if he said that um he just said that he loves his tools right um my favorite tool is probably I guess my favorite thing in my studio is 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 the kiln because that's what um the kiln without the kiln we we can't do what we Makes can do. It happen. Exactly. I mean it you know um we we make stoneware so it's it's fired up to around 2200 Fahrenheit 
Um, the firing takes around 24 hours total. Um, it takes about 12 hours to fire up and then about 12 more hours to cool. And what you put into the kiln is f- very different from what you take out. And, and what, what I think I love about ceramics and what, what drew me in from day one is the ability to take something, um, obviously clay, you shape it, you design it, do what you want. Um, but when you put it into the kiln and you fire it, and it's, it transforms it in a really intense way. Um, you know, you make something that will probably never leave this earth unless someone really um, does their best to, to get rid of it. Um, so just the fact that the kiln really transforms the ware into something that's so permanent. And, and it, what's important to me in, in the hospitality industry is and durability is so important. And so um, just the firing process and, and then really mm-hmm. perfecting that, tweaking that, calibrating it and constantly always being in touch with it um, is, is so important to what we do and so important to create um, a durable product. And, and that's um, un- unless you have a durable product, you really can't work with people in the hospitality industry. So well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I might be one of the few people who grew up in a household that had a kiln in our backyard because my mom's an artist, used to dabble, dabble in so ceramics. Cool. Yeah. And we were from Miami, so talk about hot and hot. But I knew not to get close to it because it's like super... I'm sure it was outdoor. It was outdoor. It was in our backyard. Cool. And uh, yeah, so I'm a little familiar with kilns. And, and also, you don't know if something's going to break inside or... Well, that's, you know, that's actually a... That's that's kind of a, a ceramic myth. Oh, really? Um, well, yeah. You should know if something's gonna. I when I put in a load of plates, I'm pretty sure they're all gonna come out pretty pretty nice the next day. Nothing blows up for me ever anymore. Well, that's good. It's <laughs> a good track <laughs> I hope record. Not at this, at, after doing it for ten years, but um, yeah, that that there there are some myths that that go along with ceramics. Like, oh, you never know what the color of the glazes are gonna come out. Like, well, yeah. I mean, it's there's a big difference between what, what people do in schools and and your average pottery studios and then in more of an industrial pottery. And, and everything we do is geared toward getting consistency, a quality, consistent, durable product. So, um, a lot of the, any kind of guesswork and any kind of any haphazard, um, side to it. We've, we've tried to eliminate that as much as we can, but, but we still, we still make everything by hand. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's completely handmade product. Um, and it's completely handmade process, but we just, we've tried to kind of cross the bridge between, you know, what a handmade pottery does and what an industrial pottery Mm -hmm. does. We maintain the look, feel and quality of the handmade pottery and it's still done by hand, but we've just innovated in a few ways that enabled us to do, 500, 600 place settings if someone needs it. Yeah, well, you figured that out because your, your work definitely all looks handmade. It is handmade. Well, that's why it looks <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> we, we, we want it to look handmade. Uh, we, we don't want to take that part out of it. But we do like being able to do a consistent product. Uh, I mean, just even getting dinner plates to stack, you know, just to have them so they can stack 12, 15 high. That's important to a restaurant. But that's really hard to do when you're making stuff completely by hand. So right. that's that's part of it. Um, challenges, the yeah. challenges. Part of the challenge of design. I mean, when you design for a restaurant, you're designing not just with thinking of how is the food going to look on the plates. You're thinking how are the plates going to store? You know, how are they going to fit in the dishwasher? How are they going to – the durability of it? So there's so many um, other factors other than does food look good on it that you're thinking about because obviously there's a lot of – 
beautiful plates out there that food would look fantastic on. But, but they're they not would, functional. Yeah, right? uh, yeah, for sure. And so we've we've had to kind of, you know, find a balance of um, maintaining you know the certain aesthetic qualities, but but um, but creating some some aspects that allow us to um, you know allow our product to, to last and to hold up. Awesome. Yeah, learned a lot from you. It's cool. very cool, and it sounds so fun. I want to want to go make make something. Yeah, you should. <laughs> You should definitely come come see our studio. Um, oh, cool! I'd love yeah. to. You're in you're in Union. We're in Union City. City. Okay. It, yeah, we're we're basically over, we overlook Hoboken, and so um, we overlook Hoboken and and the water and Manhattan. So we've got we've got a nice spot looking over to the city. Um, we're in a big funky old industrial building. We're actually oh, cool. in the old Yardley Soap Factory. righty. Yeah, it still says it up there on the top. Yardley. It's neat. Mm-hmm. I see a, a field trip in my future. Definitely. Okay, we're going to take another break here. We're going to come back and do my speed round game and industry news discussion. This is All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. This is All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is John O'Pandolfi. And it's now time for my speed round questions. Are you ready? Absolutely. So what it is, I'm going to name two things, such as chocolate or vanilla. And you just pick your preference. Okay. If you want to answer that one, you can. Uh, Chocolate. (laughs) Okay. Cool. (laughs) Here we go. Eat in or eat out? I'd say eat in. Wine, beer, or cocktail? beer but i like them all three all three are fine that's <laughs> Sorry. good it's that's good probably to know. not allowed no, no it is allowed right. I, and it's it's you know these are these are just what you're feeling right I start now. off with the beer all right we'll go with the beer how about tasting menu or a la carte tasting menu small plates or large plates um i don't know it depends on my mood i guess but small plates I, I, this is when I've been asking everyone, but I'm thinking that has a whole new connotation for you. Right. You know? I like small making plates, small plates. plates better. Well, how big is the small plate? Yeah. So, okay. I just made 397-inch plates for Nomad. So they're, they're rolling out some, some new menu items based on that. I'll have to, have to go in again So we'll go with soon. small plates. All right, we'll go with small plates. How about tipping or all-inclusive charge? I'd say tipping. Okay. Communal table or chef's counter? Definitely. I like chef's counter wherever I can. Me too. 
Glazed or unglazed? Hmm. Um, I guess, I don't know. That, that's a hard one for me. Glazed. I, I don't know. You're the only one I'm asking that to. That's not a standard. <laughs> I, like to put, I like to glaze pottery wherever the food touches it. Okay. I like to leave unglazed areas. Um, the stoneware, is, it's food safe even if there's glaze or not. Um, some of my areas, my unglazed areas are still food safe, but we'll go with glazed. Good to know. I was thinking people might think I'm talking about donuts, but I was, yeah, I, I wasn't <laughs> if donut, if you're talking donuts, definitely glazed. Yeah. Glazed. Okay. How about Will Guadera, the bandmate or restaurant operator? Restaurant operator. He's a very good drummer, but he's, All right. he's, he know, he's, he's doing what he's made to do now. He's, he's awesome. Yeah. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Union City? I'll go with Union City. Woo! Yeah. Go, good for Union City. Definitely. Oh, that's the game. I love it. Cool. Thanks. All right, so let's talk some industry news. Uh, so one hot topic this week was about restaurant reservations and and reservation systems. Yeah, I saw that. So there was this article in the Wall Street Journal that Jay Cheshire's wrote called Ticket to Dine, The Restaurant Reservation Revolution. And basically it's, you know, there's now, there's, well, there's been for a few years these, these reservation systems online that are kind of are scalping tickets to restaurants in a sense. Um, ben Leventhal and Gary Vannerchuk have come up with something, an app launching soon called Resi, where basically at a hot restaurant at eight o'clock, there's if there's no reservations, they may have one available at eight, and you can buy it for twenty five dollars, and the money will go to the restaurant. So I don't, I don't know. And then they also talked about Nick Kokonis from Alinea and Next, and how he has his own reservation system online. That's with ticketing that's been very successful and he's going to start selling his software for that. So how do you feel about all this? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I read, I was reading the, I read the article. I didn't realize it was by Jay. That was cool. Um, yeah, Jay's cool. The, you know, it, it guess, I guess it makes sense. And I don't, I, I think about a lot of the, the challenges of a, of a restaurant operator, but I don't think about things like people not showing up. But I guess, um, and that was one of the main points there. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're, you know, if you're EMP and you're booked out solid for the night, but then a couple of tables don't show up, I'm sure that never happens at EMP. But it might happen other places. <laughs> but I think EMP is one that you have to put a deposit or give your credit card. Oh, you do? I, I'm pretty sure, and then it's like a 24-hour cancellation Got policy. It. I think those reser- those restaurants have less no-shows because there's a penalty, but I've heard there's people no-show a lot. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you're going you're gonna to have to fork over the money in the end anyway. So, um, I mean, I guess some people might think it's a little crass, I guess, ask for the money up front. But yeah. if, it, if people are, are doing it, if, if they're doing it at next, is that what the... Um, yeah. Well... Nick, who's next in Alinea and, and all Chicago restaurants, it's I've never dined there, but I've I have gone to their website to see how it works, and and he has different time slots and party of two, party of four, or six, and there's 
and different price. So maybe a Tuesday at six thirty, it costs two hundred and thirty dollars right. to dine there, and a Friday night, it's a hundred dollars more. And then you buy it, and then it's like buying a ticket to a show. And and I think the only way to get out of it is to sell your ticket, but right. you're you're committed. I don't know. I, I think it's interesting to see what will happen. I think some people, with the whole thing with Resi that's launching, I think the challenge is that people are used to you can make a reservation for free and now someone's saying well it's going to cost you money to make that same reservation yeah they may not it may i mean it may um i don't know if it'll it'll hurt business but yeah you get someone to think thinking twice about it before they even make the reservation right um but i'm not sure you know yeah i'm not sure either um if if it's if it's helpful for for fine dining restaurants great go for it i don't see it catching on for casual smaller in you know more informal dining i just don't see right. how it would even work because who's going to go um i mean to for it's it's like a it's a, a pre-fixed price usually right right yeah, yeah so um you know would would that work for roberta's for example I no pro- yeah probably not and that's why the smaller places and more casual are typically more walk-in type restaurants too Okay, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see if it catches on. We'll come back in, we'll come in back a year and see if it's all the rage. Sounds sounds good. Okay, now another thing in the New York Times today, Florence Fabricant, she had a lot of a lot of interesting news, and one of them was that Dan Kluger was is leaving ABC Kitchen and ABC Cucina. He's the exec- has been the executive chef since they opened. And the article got picked up by Grub Street and Eater and everyone else. So I, I've always been a fan of Dan, and I'm, I'm excited to see what his next move is. Definitely. I've always been a fan of Dan as well. Um, I, I go way back with Dan because um, it was actually – Probably my second client, my second custom tabletop design client ever, because we had just done a couple teeny things for the MoMA, and then um, the Core Club opened up. Okay. And um, I did a couple really kind of special butter dishes for the Core Club that were two-sided, and they opened up, and floor to cell was in one side, and butter was in the other. It was kind of a neat thing, and that was with Dan. Oh, That was with Dan neat. back in the day, um, and... Um, you know, he's, he's, he's moved around. He's done a lot of amazing things for Jean George. Um, and it's, it's awesome that, and, and actually we've, we've definitely tried to collaborate over the years, but it's just, nothing has really clicked and worked out. Um, but he's always been a massive fan. And so, um, you know, when I, when I heard the news, I, I actually, I sent him an email. I said, Hey, let's, let's talk soon. And, uh, he responded enthusiastically. So hopefully that could be another, maybe a 2015, project i don't know we'll see but that's awesome yeah it's, it's I would cool love I'm, to see that i'm very happy for him and uh, you know i, I think i think the, the city is going to be really receptive to uh, whatever he does me too i mean it said he said he's looking to open his own place but didn't say specifically what so right we'll have to stay tuned on that too we'll stay tuned uh, so that's cool and then the last thing i just wanted to bring up was it's negroni week and i was just impressed by this because Negroni has become this very popular cocktail, and the fact that they're doing this whole Negroni week where they had a launch party the other night, and it's a worldwide campaign. It's sponsored by Imbibe Magazine and Campari, and the restaurants and bars around the world participating, and they're giving – how it works is – 
they're giving a portion of their sales to a charity or a nonprofit. And I saw Joe Campanelli, who has a show on Heritage Radio Network called In the Drink. He's donating all of their proceeds to Heritage Radio Network. So I thought that was very cool. So thank you, Joe. And I thought your wife and my friend Erica Ducey would probably be very excited about this whole... Absolutely. Um, You beat me to the punch. No, I've I've had a lot of exposure to cocktails um, the last year, a couple years. Uh, Yeah, Erica Ducey, my wife, has got a uh, a book out on the topic. Uh, It's called Storied Sips. It's awesome. It's it's totally awesome. It's the history of the world's 40 most iconic cocktails. And it's um, beautifully illustrated, and it's amazingly researched and written. And um, it's been fun being there through the process, the research process. Um, I've, I've learned a lot, and I've learned a lot about tasting, and I've learned a lot about actually the history of the cocktails, which is super interesting, um, and a lot of funny stories behind them. And I, I'm not can't remember the negroni story off the top of my head but um me either yeah it's it's um (laughs) it's cool there's there's a lot of lore behind cocktails and there's some disputed origins and things like that and i think erica um had some fun kind of trying to get to the bottom of it and uh, the end result is is pretty pretty popular people really dig it yeah they do dig it we dig it yeah yeah awesome well happy negroni week Okay, we're going to take one more break here, and we're going to come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Okay, so this week I went down to Chelsea, and I checked out a new place called Barchetta, which is on West 23rd and 10th Avenue. It's in the space that was formerly Alain Allegretti's La Promenade des Anglais. And then this new place, Barchetta, is an LDV hospitality restaurant, uh, which is owned by John Meadow, and the chef is Dave Pasternak, who is from Esca, and he's still with Esca. He's now uh, just working on both the restaurants. And Dave is known for his crudo, his Italian-style raw fish. And so that's what I was, I was on a mission to get, and that is what I had. I went early, it was a Sunday, sat at the bar, and I had, they had a crudo tasting, which was six for 28, they serve three at a time. So this is this is what I got. I got black sea bass with cracklings, red snapper with Meyer lemon pressed olive oil, red king salmon with sorrel, wahoo with crushed pistachio, long fin tuna with Sicilian olive oil, and Boston mackerel with gaita olive aioli. And I would say out of them, the wahoo was my favorite, which is kind of weird that this week I was when I was in Bermuda I had Wahoo too so I'm on a Wahoo roll apparently Wahoo (laughs) (laughs) exactly 
Wahoo. So um, I also then got the antipasta charred octopus because the bartender there was like, you're going to need more food because I mean, it, it was a, it was the serving side was very reasonable, but it's still you're eating raw pieces of fish. It was kind of it's a late. I, late I meal. actually ate there. Oh, did you? Yeah, I love that. I love the crudo. Like oh, every cool. single one you listed, like my mouth is watering again because that um, and um, yeah, I'm a big fan of of, of Pastor Next cuisine. He's, That's awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad you went, and I am too. And he came in when I was when I was there, and he showed me around the space. And he's such a nice guy. Definitely. And I think anyone who's a seafood lover who who likes fish or uh, raw fish go there. This is the place to to get crudo. Uh, it was so good. Oh, awesome. So anyone who wants to check it out, their website's barchettanyc.com. Okay, so we're getting to the end of the show, so we're going to do the final question. And I'm having on another a consulting pastry chef next week because I need to get more pastry talk out there. Um, and it's Pichet Ong. I don't know if you've met him before, but uh, he's a consulting pastry chef, and I think he consults on savory a bit too. So I wanted to see if you can ask him a question. I would have a question for a consulting pastry chef. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I've 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 talked and and met with with many pastry chefs. Um, I guess my question to him would be, if you could uh, design or have one, you know, one versatile ideal plate for all your pastry, you know, what would it be? Okay. You know, I mean, does that does that work? Because that would be it works for that me. would that would be helpful for me to know. I, um, I think it's a great question. Yeah. I will ask him. He's, I'm sure he's he'd love to talk plate design. Yeah, with I'd you. love to hear his answer <laughs> to that. And a lot of times when we design a you know place setting or a setting or a, you know pattern for a restaurant, that kind of gets overlooked. The pastry plate, um, it always ends up being the salad plate that they use for that. Mm. Which is like you know around eight or nine inch, the um, dinner plate being more like ten and a half to eleven. Um, so it always ends up being the salad plate. Or I think of it as a salad plate that that they use for the pastry plate. Um, and so that you know that works for a lot of people. But I definitely would would love to hear his answer. Okay, about that. Yeah. I will find out. Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much for coming out here today. You're welcome. It's been a lot of fun. It has been yeah. fun. I'm really glad I got to meet you and learn more about what you do. It's fascinating. Definitely. Thanks for asking. Oh, you're welcome. So I've been talking with Jono Pandolfi. His website is jonopandolfi.com. He's on Twitter at jonopandolfi. Should I spell that? J-O-N-O-P-A-N-D-O-L-F-I. Now, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at All Industry, at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at Heritage underscore Radio. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com. If you miss us live broadcast, you can always find us at heritageradionetwork.org and on Stitcher and iTunes. Thanks to my engineer, Jack, who makes this work every week, doing his magic behind the scenes. And thanks to everyone out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 for another live one. Hope you'll tune in then. Bye. for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. I want you to come